Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. Sin was indeed the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought con- condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because one of the, of the one man's trespass death exercised dominion, through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all. For just as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, and so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. But law came in, with the result that the trespass multiplied, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you so much, Casey. Uh, first, let's just start in prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this evening. Thank you for... Um, all the different things that we've done uh, and just pray your spirit would open our hearts and our ears to hear from you now. Amen. Um, thanks, particularly big thanks to all the youth who've been involved in the various activities um, and all aspects of the service. Uh, and thanks to Nick for coming up with the idea of football prayer. I have to say I was deeply sceptical. Um, but as always, you were right. Yeah. Um, we're now in our fifth study looking at the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the Roman church. And chapter 5 is a biggie. It's so big, in fact, that we had to split it into two readings just to give you a bit longer to digest it inwardly. But we're really getting to the heart of Paul's message here. Uh, The gospel that he's proclaiming, the gospel, the good news, the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. And here, Paul sets out to make sense of in just a few verses, the whole scope of human history and the human condition, and sort of set it out. Um, And to help us what he's considering and and how we might respond to it, just like a few weeks ago, I'm afraid I brought another three objects along with me. I'm calling this talk the apple, the curtain, and the cross. Confused, you will be. But hopefully all will become clear. I tried to think of a fruit rather than apple to make it a bit of an alliteration. And I wonder about kumquat or cox. But I'm not sure when kumquat season is, and it's a braver apple, so I'm sorry, just going to stick with what we've got. So in this chapter, Paul is describing division. A division between us and God alienation between the creatures that God has made and the creator himself. 
So the creatures that God made in his own image and the one who made them. And throughout this letter, particularly in the first three chapters, Paul has been describing this alienation, this separation, this enmity. We were enemies of God that follows on from that. And he's called the reason for that sin. And unfortunately, it's a difficult word perhaps now because it's been cruelly hijacked by the world uh, and it comes to mean all sorts of different things. Paul, the way the world uses it often is like sort of either minor dis- misdemeanors or something to feel really guilty about in a TV drama or possibly sugary treats that Weight Watchers have sanctioned that you can have in small amounts. But Paul isn't talking about that. He's talking about the rebellion between the creatures and the creator, a rebellion against God that's alienated us from him um, and quickly leads to alienation between ourselves and from one another. Just look in Genesis, how quickly from the fall we then read on to the first murder being committed. So firstly then, the apple. Now don't get hung up on the apple because it probably wasn't an apple and I'm not even sure what the picture of the fruit means. So so don't get hung up on it, but it helps us focus our thoughts. The apple. So in that second reading that Katie brought to us, Paul describes two figures for us to think about. They're figures with similarities. One is a type of the other, but they're also profoundly different. And they're the two figures that typify humanity's relationship with God. Either separation, rejection, and rebellion and separation with Adam, or reconciliation, restoration, and eternal hope with Jesus. But why Adam then? Well, to think about Adam's role in inaugurating this sort of age of separation, we'll need to rewind all the way back to the very first chapters of the Bible. The first few chapters of Genesis use a number of interlocking pictures and stories to communicate some profound truths about what being a human is like. So the innocence of the birth of humanity is described as being a garden. A garden where God himself could walk with us, walk freely, and we could see him, humans could see him face to face. There was no separation then between the creator and the created. He walked with us and he lived with us, and he also commanded us to trust him. You can eat anything you want in the garden, God says. It's good for you. Look around, you can eat anything... But trust me, don't eat that. It's not good for you. You just need to trust me. But when God made us, he made us with agency. That is, we were made in his, in his image and we can make decisions like he could. We can choose. We've got the power to choose. We could choose to trust God or we could choose to disobey. And so came the separation We chose to disobey, and then the divide came between us. Even before, as Casey's reading said, even before the law was given to Moses, he wrote on our hearts what was right and what was wrong. But almost inevitably, our ancestors, and still to this day, we have an amazing knack of managing to choose what is not good. Adam, and the word means mankind as well as being one person's name, Adam was sent out of the garden, out of the immediate presence of God, And the rest, as they say, is history. So now we're separated from God. This separation, sometimes in the Bible, is described as being like a chasm, a deep cleft, a gorge, or a gulf, or somewhere like being in a foreign country far away from home, 
or even the difference between being born and being still in your mother's womb. We're going to move on to the next picture, though, another metaphor, and this time it's the curtain. Don't worry, I haven't taken down the curtains in the house. That wouldn't go down very well. We're going to look at thinking of this idea of the curtain. And it's not quite as impressive as the distance from the surface of Earth to outer space. It's another way, that distance between us and God, as high as the heavens are above the Earth. But it represents that divide quite neatly. And it did so to the Israelites as well, God's people with whom he had that special relationship. Firstly, in their desert wanderings, they had tents. And then slightly more permanently in the temple, um, they'd set up the way they ordered their holy objects. So they had an outer tent or tabernacle, uh, the holy place. And that was where the priests would go in and minister regularly and offer sacrifices, and they could go into that. But separating this holy place from an inner sanctum, from the holy of holies, there was a curtain. And within that second tent, there was the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, and it represented to those people the presence of God, that immediate presence of God, just like it was in Eden. And only the high priest himself could go past that curtain, go through that curtain. That was only once a year And he had to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and the sins of the people so that he could have access to that holy of holies. And that curtain was there to remind them of that separation between them and God. And even Moses and Ezekiel, who were the closest to having a face-to-face experience of God after the fall, even they said, you can't see my... God said to them, you can't see my face. Uh, Just look at my back. We're still separated. My holiness and my glory is just too much for you as you are now. So the apple reminds us of the fall and how through Adam and being part of Adam's helpless race, as the hymn says, um, how it reminds us that we've all sinned and fallen short. And the curtain represents that divide between us and mankind, the separation between a holy God and a fallen people because of the fall. And if that was the end of the story, the end of the talk, it would be quite depressing. Paul spent the first three chapters of Romans describing our fallenness and our state. If you remember back in chapter 2, we might try and make ourselves right with God through simply our efforts, um, but ultimately it's just too much for us. We're effectively powerless in ourselves to reconcile ourselves to God by our own efforts, and what we need is God's power to do it for us. He's the one who reconciled us. Now usually, if you've got two parties who have separated Uh, who are in a disagreement, both parties have to come to the table for there to be reconciliation. I'm going to use a current example, and I'm sorry this might be a painful one for some of you, particularly if you're trying to catch a train this week, or if you've had a hospital appointment rearranged again. I'm going to think about some industrial action, a strike. So if we think about it, to resolve a strike, you need both parties, the two parties, the employers and the employees, to come to the table. Uh, and they've got to find a way forward together to be reconciled. One side might offer some concessions, the other one might revise their demands a bit, and then they come to an agreement, and there's some reconciliation there. Thankfully, though, God doesn't actually wait for us to come to the table. While we were still weak, it said in our first reading that Hugh brought us, for while we were still weak, just at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God proves his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has reconciled us while we were still far off. 
both metaphorically far from God and also temporally. I think it's 2,000 years ago since the crucifixion, the center point of human history, and yet still once for all Christ died. It was a one-off event for all time. We don't have to keep repeating it. Uh, now, to demonstrate how this came about, I will just need my volunteers. So if I just have Ruth and Imogen and Katie back. Thank you. So if you could grab the curtain. Thanks, guys. And so the apple was the fall. The curtain was the separation from God. And lastly, it's the cross. And that's the means of our reconciliation. I loved hearing what the young people, how they described Jesus um, from Abide last week. Those... those Quite profound truths. Answering that question, who is Jesus? And I think it's a question that all of us of Adam's offspring have got to answer. And seeking the answer to that question is is the most fulfilling thing that any of us can do. We were and we are powerless to reconcile ourselves to God. So God has done the work for us. Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, by taking on our sin and taking on that separation from the Father. He's opened a way for us to return to him. In Matthew's Gospel, this is how Matthew describes the crucifixion. From noon onwards, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemat sabbathani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and breathed his last. And at that moment, the temple and the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. The curtain is torn. The separation is over. The way back to God has been opened up because of Jesus. He didn't wait for us to have done enough good works to weigh out the bad and tip the scales in our favour. He didn't wait for us to reach enlightenment through thought and meditation through our own spiritual practice. He didn't, we didn't have to rely on our own heritage of being a special chosen people. He did the work for all of us. He took the initiative and brought us back to the Father. But remember the fall, though. That came about because we had agency, and we still do. We still got a choice. To go back to that picture of the strike of the industrial relations, God's placed an offer on the table while we're still out of the room. It's an offer that's too good to refuse, but it's one that we still have to accept if we wish to be reconciled. He's not made us robots. We're not automatons. We're made in his image, and we can exercise that agency that he's given us. But he's removed the dividing wall. He's bridged the chasm. He's torn the curtain. And this talk full of metaphors and pictures, the cross is the historical reality. It's the historical event that sets everything in its light. Similarly, having peace with God is a state of affairs. It's not a state of mind. Though we might well feel better, about everything once we've accepted God's offer, the reality of that rescue is is not dependent on how we feel. Accepting it doesn't mean we escape from this fallen world. We don't escape from the suffering that Nick was describing, and that's the ongoing reality of still being here in the presence of sin in this world. But accepting that offer, it gives us the hope that the suffering and extinction aren't our lot for all eternity. 
There may be some of you here who've thought about this in the past and maybe accepted that offer on the table in the past, but since then have turned away from it. Or perhaps it's an offer that you've yourself have been considering for a short while or maybe even a long time. And if that is you, I would encourage you to talk to someone you can trust about it, maybe some of the ministry team, the prayer team, or me. The offer is still there on the table. I'll just close in prayer now. It's a prayer that we often use after communion, but it seems apt at the moment. So I'll just come in prayer. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, you declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. Amen.